This week's episode is brought to you by SketchWallet. SketchWallet provides some awesome products for artists on the go, like travel size sketch pads, pencils, and of course, let's not forget SketchWallet's feature product, the SketchWallet. It's a handy little high quality wallet made from real durable materials that acts as a wallet for your mini sketch pad and pencil and things you'd normally keep in your wallet. And it fits right into your back pocket or purse. Then when you fill up your sketchbook, they make it easy to refill your sketch wallet with easily reloadable materials that you can order right off the website. So head to sketchwallet.com T-A-N right now to check out their beautifully made leather options as well as their budget and vegan friendly canvas options coming soon. Again, that's sketchwallet.com T-A-N. This is the Animation Network. With this podcast, you get to tune in every week to hear top industry professionals in my network discussing network animation. Our goal here is to bring you effective tips, tricks, secrets, and practices for breaking into and navigating through the current landscape of TV animation. I'm your host, Chris Wimberly. Thanks for tuning into the network today. Yep. Cool, cool. Yeah, that's working. All right. Um, I'll let you. I'll let you uh, do the the lead in to get started. Oh, so much responsibility. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. Uh, I know you can handle it. I have faith in you. Okay. Well, then let's get straight into this. All right. Let's do it. And today we're doing an Ask Me Anything. So we have a list of questions here. We're going to do how we usually do, go through, answer them. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we just jump straight into it? Let's do it. So our first question is from Twitter. They said, I have a question on behalf of my students. What hard software do you recommend for up-and-coming animation students slash professionals? Uh, yeah, so that's a really big question. Um, and I think... I think uh, it depends largely on what it is you're going to be doing with your time in the industry. It's tricky because uh, the more you um, specialize between either like feature or TV and then big small big big smallio big studio versus small oh. studio. <laughs> yeah, the, the look on your face I was, was like, so happening? confused. Yeah, <laughs> it's been such a long day. Um, but yes, so. All of these things will make a difference um, as to how much software and hardware you need to learn. I think the biggest things, though, are really understanding um, how to use how to draw digitally, right? Um, but but I think what people forget is that drawing digitally uh, is a like a byproduct that comes after learning how to draw traditionally. Right. Just learning right. how to draw in yeah. general, um, because I'm sure you probably have heard and have probably seen and you probably believe that um, the tools don't make the artist. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, while it is important to know which software to use and hardware to use, the basics have to be learned. Just that's the bottom line, um, because, you know, I joke with people all the time, like, you know, hand me a tube of lipstick and toilet paper and I can still draw you something right it'll have volume there'll be gesture there'll be form it'll look like a pretty solid drawing 
it's not that I need to use a Cintiq to be able to do that. Okay, so all that aside, yes, like you do, it is imperative to be successful in the industry to know how to draw digitally. Um, there are some shows that exist, some places and some movies that exist where you can do a lot of your early work traditionally, but the finished product needs to be translated digitally. Um, so maybe that means you can scan it in or whatever, but you're more, uh, you're going to have a higher success rate and in finding jobs to begin with, if you know how to draw digitally to begin with, because I've seen people lose jobs to that. Ooh. So, yeah. So that means um, knowing how to use a Cintiq, mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of art schools are equipping themselves with that kind of those kind of tools um tablets are fine those are okay because it's still drawing into some sort of software and that's the big part that's the biggest part of it right um so it's not that the Cintiq is the superior piece of technology to the tablet um, and I'm sure some people are screaming at their <laughs> podcast <Right>? <laughs> listening <laughs> device like yes it is superior but the reality is um it's about drawing in the software with whatever hardware you're using. Um, and and also, don't kid yourself, it's not like the bigger the price tag, the better the tool, yeah. right? So people can do lots of damage with um, budget tools just as well as, you know, having some big thing. Some people like using their, the new, you know, Apple Pencil and all this kind of stuff and drawing in was it Procreate, I think? or I think so, Procreate. Like, there's also Sketchbook. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff now. So these are all um, great tools as well. As far as software goes, um, the biggest one in terms of like art department stuff that I still see is still Photoshop. Yeah. Um, a lot of competitors have come and tried and failed. Uh, you know, like people thought, oh, Corel Painter is going to be the next thing it's gonna bump out photoshop it it just hasn't photoshop is rock solid and gives you everything that you need right um you use that on both of your shows right photoshop yeah it, it comes up every now and then um so yeah photoshop definitely a big one and obviously we're using flash since we're a flash show for and, which one uh for both magic swords oh, and apple onion i didn't know magic so, yeah. swords is done in flash everything that comes through our department is flash based mm. so we use a lot of that at least our animators do we design in photoshop put it and clean it up in flash and uh, storyboard pro is the other one mm -hmm. that those are like our three staples yeah and yeah and i was going to get to that next so i'm glad you brought that up and then of course storyboard pro if you're going to be going into the story department doing that kind of thing um that's just for the art. Obviously, for writing, yeah. they're using Final Draft. For editing, there's a debate between Ad, uh, Avid and and Final Cut, mm. or is it Premiere? We've used Premiere, and, and I think After Effects too. It's been oh, used. and After Effects is cool. Okay, cool. So these are all like really important things. Um, but the the biggest things like I mean, you can have an entire studio with just Storyboard Pro and Photoshop. Um, and and do really well with that. Uh, did that cover everything? Of I that? think I think it did. Okay, great. Yeah, we're off to a good start. <laughs> Are we almost done? <laughs> uh, a little while to go, okay. but almost there. Um, so for our next one, which is one we've kind of gotten before, 
But uh, do you believe if someone wants to get into animation as a professional or as a profession, would they have to go to a school like CalArts in order to basically break in? Right. I do remember a question. I mean, this question has come up in different forms yeah. a lot. Um, but the heart of it's the same. And uh, the answer, the bottom line answer is no. It's, you don't have to go to one of those big name brand um, kind of Ivy League of art schools type art school. A lot of people are getting um, really great education online now. Mm -hmm. You can find stuff for free. You can find stuff that you do have to pay for, um, you know, and the uh, price tags a lot of times will reflect the value. Um, sometimes not, so it's important to ask around and, and find out uh, what people think when they've taken, I you know, actually I'm not going to go down that road, but yes, <laughs> it's, it's important to uh, ask around. Um, so... Yeah, I think, because uh, you didn't, no, you did go to a big name art school. I did, I did. You did. That's but right. I know a lot of people who either went to smaller programs that I haven't even heard of before, mm -hmm. or just didn't go to school at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that, um, you know, the, the industry in general started with a no kind of art school thing. It was more mm -hmm. like apprenticeship based, like, you know, learning a trade, um, much like you know, if you wanted to be a welder or something, right? right. right? Um, and then as the demand rose and people learned that you could do this for a job, that's when the uh, demand for art school went up and that now there's all kinds of art schools everywhere, both physically and online. Um, so I think people get confused that if, like, they don't get into CalArts, mm -hmm. that they're just, I've known people who have applied, you know, four plus times and got turned down every single time. Ooh. And you know, it's tough because you feel like maybe your art's not that great then, but you know, that's, that's not really the end of the line. Um, because as you pointed out, yeah, people definitely get hired in this industry without going to art school. And I didn't go to a big name brand art school and I've been doing okay, I think, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here. That's that's it. That's that's the reality of it. And um, most people in the industry will argue that you don't learn anything until you're in the industry. <laughs> like, Very true. You, you know, I always joke with people and say that, uh, well, half-jokingly say that I learned more in my first six months than the collective six years of art school, mm -hmm. which obviously is a bit of an exaggeration um but but the heart of it is true which is that they they can only teach you so much in school and they have a lot to try to get to to shape you and help help you get there and their primary focus is getting those basic principles down right can you like if you're going to be an animator do you understand gesture form and anatomy those three things if you know those three things you're going to be in great shape and you can learn about gesture, form, and anatomy from any school mm -hmm. and any art book and any YouTube video tutorial. Right. Thing. So, uh, yeah, so you don't have to go to a big fancy school. If you can, though, then great. That's cool. Yeah. Um, let's do, we have another uh, storyboard question. Mm -hmm. uh, so on a board-driven comedy show where a short outline is given, 
Do board artists tend to portray more physical comedy over verbal comedy, or is that dictated by the showrunners and directors? Ooh, that's pretty complex. Uh, yeah, so absolutely the showrunners are the ones who, well, they created the show, right? So they are um, kind of where it starts and where it ends. Like a lot of, well, I guess the network is where it ends because yeah. they, they will tell you <laughs> what you can and can't do. Um, but ultimately, yes, the, the tone is set by the person who created the show and or the person running it or helping to run it because sometimes it's not always the same person. Um, having said that, the nature of the show, whether it's storyboard driven or script driven, which I've talked about in past episodes, um, it, it definitely does influence the style of humor. Um, but uh, you can get the best of both worlds from either version as long as you have somebody who's really experienced steering that boat to know how to draw that out of the artists. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, because, because, you know, when we were working on SpongeBob and they're still making the show, uh, and it was board driven and the big exciting part to that, that a lot of the, um, storyboard directors and people who were fleshing out the thumbnail ideas and everything, uh, love to be able to be visual right there as they wrote the script. And there are people who, uh, especially in Cartoon Network who come from like web comics who are very mm -hmm. uh, verbally funny. So while they can map out a sequence visually, they are still relying on the the dynamics of the way that they write to carry the humor. So either one of those can come from script driven. So it really just has to depend on the nature of the show as established by the show creator. Mm. How's that for an answer? Yeah, good answer, good dance. Okay, that's a hard one. Learning something new every day. Really? You're still learning new stuff? All the time, because I'm constantly forgetting stuff, so I'm, I need to <laughs> replace it with something else to, to fill the void. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so let's sense. do a, a follow-up question to that one, which is still related to storyboarding. Uh -huh. um, and they're asking, not sure if this has been answered, but what are some books on storyboarding foundations, like the basics and terms to start with for TV animation? Mm. Um, so the short answer is uh, with being that specific, there is none. One does not exist. There is no... TV storyboarding book, um, but there are film. There are books on film, and really, what we're doing in this industry is it derives from the overall film industry, right? So, not everything. It's not a direct correlation, but mm -hmm. there's a strong correlation. And so, a lot of the terminology, a lot of the principles, a lot of the um, choices that we make are all based in uh, cinematography and film direction. So you can find books on those, um, and I'm sure there's no shortage of that. Um, but here's something. This is really interesting that this question came up, and I remember when it came up on, was that a Twitter question? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, so I remember when that question came up because um, ironically, I just had a chat with our old pal uh, Steven Silver 
because uh, well we we were talking about some other stuff, but he knows about my storyboard mentorship, and he runs a character design mentorship. Did you know about you know about that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think everybody knows about that. And um, he is saying how he gets so many students that come through there who are like, okay, they they learn character stuff, and they're like, great, now I know how to draw better. My characters are looking great. Now let me learn how to storyboard so I can start making these guys act. And he goes, well, can't help you there. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> because I I do the character design. Um, but uh, so he was trying to convince me, and maybe successfully trying to convince me that um, I should take my storyboard mentorship, which he's heard good things about, and kind of roll that into a book for specifically TV storyboarding. So I thought about it and thought about it, and I wasn't too sure if I wanted to do that just because I really have a lot of fun with the mentorship, and I love the one-on-one connection that I set up with people, and it's a three-month-long thing, so it's really, really in-depth, and you know all about right. the mentorship. Um, the problem is that much commitment comes with a price tag that reflects that. And while a lot of people would love to take it, I've been told that um, they have to wait until they're able to, which I completely understand. And so I'm thinking maybe this is the way to go. Like maybe I should put that, put together the same sort of structure, the same, because I have amazing feedback from people who have taken the storyboard mentorship who have gotten jobs because of it um and it covers everything we cover literally everything starting from the history of storyboarding all the way down to like portfolio building and which are literally like the 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 bookends to the real knowledge of how to actually storyboard so i've been thinking about doing this i think steven silver may have convinced me to do this book Mm. So, I don't know. What do you think? Should I do that? Sounds like a good idea. Does it really? Yeah. Okay. I think you should go for it. Should I? Well, so, it's funny that this question came up because the answer is, there is no TV storyboarding (laughs) book yet. Because maybe, just maybe, um, if people, I'll tell you what, and when I say I tell you what, I'm talking to the people listening to the podcast. I will tell you guys, you networkers, what, if you are interested in this storyboarding book, then... Let me know. Shoot me an email, and maybe for the first several people who let me know about this thing, maybe I can like, you know, do some kind of like uh, discount when the book comes out or something yeah. like that for those people. But it'll be super affordable, just like any normal art book and stuff like that. But I think um, what's interesting about the book is I would try to really reflect what we're doing in the TV industry specifically. Um, like I do with my mentorship. So the work is already done. I just need to compile it. So if you guys are interested in that, then Chris, K-R-I-S, at theanimationnetwork.org. Send me an email. Tell me, yes, you have to do this book right now because I want one. Yes. Do you want one? Yes. You do, really? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like a big collector of just all types of books. So I already have way too many books at home, but I always need more. Okay, well, mm-hmm. I will help prop up that end of your table if okay. that's what you okay. need. Awesome. All right, well, I'm curious to hear how this goes then. Uh, let's jump over to another another industry within our industry. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a question from Facebook. 
How does a foreigner like myself, not actually me, but the person <laughs> asking this question, uh-huh. enter the U.S. animation voiceover industry? I think this person hit our weakest weak spot. They found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is such a conundrum for anybody, mm-hmm. um, whether you're in the U.S. or not. Um, it's almost like, you know, anybody outside of the bubble has another bubble to worry about. Like, the people who are outside of the country need to be in the country. The people who are in the country but not in California need to be in California. The people who are in Northern California need to get to Southern California. Yeah. <laughs> the people who are in Orange County need to be in Burbank. Like, everybody has to get as close as they can. But I think. The bottom line here is you have to do good work, right? People are going to hire anybody who does a good job at whatever that job is that they want to be doing. So without having ever heard this person's voice work, um, I would say that's the most key essential thing is get the the voice reel, the Mm -hmm. voice, uh, the demo reel. just airtight, take classes, take um, mentorships if you can. And the second thing after that is to network, network, network. Meet the people who have the job that you want. And that's just life advice, that's across the board. Yeah. Whether your voice or something else, meet those people because they are the ones who have the best answers. Just like I can talk for six hours about storyboarding because that's the job I do. But, I wanted to prepare better by finding um, a couple of voice acting buddies to ask them this question. So maybe I still can and I can email this person back or something. But um, the trickiest an- part of that answer, though, is about being out of country because I'm not quite sure how the visa experience yeah. works. That's such a conundrum for people who need to have that um, under under control. Um and there's no shortage of those people. You said you're talking to somebody soon, right? Yes. So I'm going to actually be interviewing someone soon who uh, is actually from Australia okay. and has been working in the industry for a while. So hopefully he can give us some insights into kind of like what that process was and how it's been so far. And hopefully there are some things that can be applied to this person looking to get into voiceover. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's some overlap there. In terms of like you know your visa process and applications and yeah all right. of that fun stuff right yeah and I know that some things don't apply uh, for some jobs like or sorry visas don't always apply for every job mm-hmm. because like for example being in production you can't get a visa like it has to be on the creative side because there's certain rules that come with it i'm not and not see i don't want to go too far down that path because i don't know entirely what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. i just know what i've learned from the people around me who've had to do that um but uh the other thing that comes with that is um you know if you okay so like if you were going to get a visa for being um let's say a storyboard artist um the typically the company sponsors you yeah so they are the ones who their legal department will go get your visa under control on your behalf so much easier than trying to 
lock one down on your own. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So the tricky part then is if you are a voiceover artist, you are not employed by the studio. Like you have agents who um, find you the work and you get paid. uh, Again, I don't want to go too far down this road because I don't know the details and specifics, so I don't want to say the wrong information. But what I am saying is it's not like um, you're on staff mm-hmm. at a studio that they're saying, yes, we're housing this particular employee because you're not housed by that studio. Yeah. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, because, uh, I mean, I've done some records and helping with manage our record stuff. So, you know, it seems like, you know, like you said, they're working with agents. Yeah. It's like a flat rate. We only use people that are in the union mm-hmm. so or that okay. are in um, SAG. So it's super important for that. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I also know that I know people who are like working on the sound engineering side who have also worked with people who are not a part of SAG. And that's kind of like a, it's a whole different world also and how they deal with, you know, payments and bringing people in. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely say if you're out of country, it would be worth taking a look into how your country deals with that kind of process of getting work in another country and where you're trying to look at to go into what that process is and then try and finding people who have actually done it already. If you can shoot them an email and see like, you know, how did you do it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What was it like? I think you'll get a better response from someone who's actually been through the process. Yeah. And you also brought up something super valuable. I don't even know if you realize that you said it, but um, SAG. And if you're out of the country, you probably don't know what SAG is. So here's what it is. We have unions that um, deal with different parts of um, different industries. And SAG stands for Screen Actors Guild. And that is a union all on its own. And a lot of times you can go find information like this Mm -hmm. through whatever resources they have so go look maybe on their website on the screen actors guild website to see what information they have about these types of questions that 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 is he or she whoever it is is asking um so yeah so that that that's good i'm glad you mentioned sag for sure yeah awesome all right uh do we have anything else yes we have two more two more questions here so, uh, next question. What time of the year do studios start hiring and staffing up for shows, and how long uh, will a person be on that show before needing to find another show? Mm, two great questions with not specific answers. Yeah, it's <laughs> very dependent on the show and the studio and yeah. the timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's. I guess there are better times to to look for work, and there are certainly worse times to look for work. Like right now, yeah, is a holidays, terrible time. Yeah, this is not a good time. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're trying to find work between October and des- through December, yeah, you are gonna have a very hard time. Yep. Um, and if people are wondering why, typically it's because it's the end of the fiscal year, which means budgets are closed, and um, people are ramping down uh, mm-hmm. seasons of their TV show. So everybody's trying to get stuff out the door and get ready for vacations. Yeah. Um, And usually um, that then means at the start of the year, there's a big hiring boom because now it's like new shows are getting started. Um, 
the the budgets open back up so they can start paying for new artists but you know stuff like that um so a lot of that stuff definitely happens so there are better times and worse times um and i think a really great time is like to to look for work is between february and april yeah seems i agree like, yeah seems like that's a good time um and with uh, the point I just made a minute ago about the end of the year, the, the flip side of that coin is sometimes you can find emergency freelance work at the end of the year because people are going on vacations or because people need to wrap up their um, stuff. Like, for example, right now we're winding down the season of the show I'm working on and um, some people since they're going to be leaving to go to their next gig, they have to leave this one a little bit early, which means now we have extra work that needs to get done. And if the three board artists left on that episode can't take on that chunk, they may just freelance it out. So you could find temporary work, which is still work. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, trying to find a steady full-time gig is really difficult between October and December. Yeah. um, but as you pointed out earlier, yeah, like you can find work at any time, like all throughout the year, because, you know, people are getting promoted, people leave jobs, people, um, new shows may start up. Um, you never know what, what could happen there. Yeah. So anything goes, but maybe stay away from the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there a second part to that question? Um, let's see. Oh, how long will they be on the show before needing to find another show? <laughs> right. Again, not a straight answer. Um, so that depends on the what's okay. So here's a little piece of industry terminology for you. It's called um, a pickup. Depends on how long or as an order is. Mm-hmm. So when your show gets picked up, they will pick up a certain number of episodes for that season. Each bracket of TV, whether it's preschool TV or kids TV or primetime TV, they each have a different order, meaning number of episodes that they will buy um, to be produced. And with each one of those um, comes different budgets and all that kind of stuff, but also different schedules, schedule lengths. So for example, a lot of preschool shows um, will end up with like a 52 episode order, which is huge. Well, 52, 11 minutes. Yeah which is 26 half hours, right? So that, if you are hired right at the start of that season, if you're fortunate enough to get hired right at the beginning and you are fortunate enough to ride it all the way to the end of the season, then you could be working for 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's a shorter order, especially with a lot of um, very careful stepping by this industry a lot lately, they'll do like, short order pickups yeah which um and you know a show may only have six half hours for that um season season one which would be like 11 i'm sorry 12 11 minute shorts Mm -hmm. and so you may only be working for like six months you know it's really hard to uh to say and then you have the weird anomaly like when uh, Netflix, or sorry, um, DreamWorks was selling all these series to Netflix, they would get these like three season 
pickups in the very beginning when they mm-hmm. struck up their new deal and people signed on for like you know crudes or some of whatever earlier other early ones they had for uh netflix um i think peabody and sherman and they would get mm-hmm. like these three season deals right out of the gate um which means you could be employed for like three years without yeah. even having to think about it so it's really hard to say but um I feel like the majority of shows that I've worked on, it's usually about a year's worth of time where you don't have to think about it. At least until like a second, if they get an additional season, then maybe you get like a short hiatus or maybe no hiatus and you roll into the second season and it could just keep going and going. Yeah. There's also the the super rare exception where you end up on like a Dora or Simpsons, which is like, never ending spongebob yes spongebob still going strong (laughs) yeah um so there are those cases where you just have a job forever and as long as it's going (laughs) we don't talk about those though because (laughs) that's such a such an anomaly that i mean everybody hopes that that happens to the show um but yeah you just you never know never know so it is a little trickier yeah to, to navigate your career that way okay so our Last question, which is the longest one. Mm. So I will try my best to get through it without my voice cracking. Okay. Uh, Are you sick? I'm getting over being sick, so I'm still going through that Are scratching. you coming to my office? I didn't I'm just you're... trying to spread it everywhere. <laughs> this is my revenge, because I'm pretty sure I got it here. Someone oh, on no. my floor was sick, and they just spread not, it so. Not good. Well, I'll make yeah. sure not to use that microphone. Yeah, yeah. Anymore. You might as well just toss it out. Um, <laughs> our last question. Yes. So. Uh, this is from Anna, and she's saying, I struggle with the concept of keeping in touch in a networking capacity. A guest speaker recently came to my school to talk about their life and career, and I sent a thank you email after the fact. They responded positively and said, feel free to keep in touch. I know that's a good thing, but how do I go about that? How often should I contact them? What do I talk about? Do I ask them questions about their work so I don't seem rude, or is asking them questions rude? A friend suggested I update them on my life in terms of projects and whatnot, but I literally literally spend days doing homework. So any help would be appreciated. Mm. That is a beefy, beefy question. Yeah, then gets in there. And I love it. Uh, well, and it came to the right place, the animation network. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... That's great. Uh, This is a really good question because a lot of people have this question, especially artists, because many of us tend to be introverts, right? So it doesn't come so naturally. Um, I remember, remember when we went to the Ground Zero Expo? There was um, uh, a dude that came up. He was so cool. Dang, I wish I could remember his name because that was back in February. Um, He's such a nice guy, though, but he was so shy and he was like, could you talk about how to like, you know, for people who are, you know, either have, I don't know if this was him, but either have social anxieties or just introverted, which is, is fine. Yeah. You know, like how, how do you deal with that? And I, so I think all this kind of is in the same vein. Um, but the, the question is a good one. So right off the bat, um, the, the way to go about it is, yeah, definitely stay in touch. If the person has offered for you to reach out to them and stay in touch, it's important that you do because as you may gather from listening to other episodes of this podcast, not just from my mouth, but from a lot of 
our guests' mouths, networking is important. Having relationships, that's the bigger part of it. Not just networking to say like, oh, I know so-and-so. Oh, do you know this person? I know them too. That's not what it's about. It's more about building relationships. So if somebody offers that to you, then definitely take them up Mm -hmm. on that. Um, So the next part of that. Uh, I feel like the... If, if there's a magic number, maybe once one email every like three months. Yeah, I would is, say that's good. Is pretty good. Um, because most people who are in Anna's position are just either in art school or coming out of art school. And just like Anna, don't have a whole lot to talk about, a whole lot to update, right? Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then you there's no need to inundate somebody with a bunch of pointless emails right um so the the next step from that is um if you don't have something to update with in three months then wait till some major event right Mm -hmm. that you can talk about even if it's just an end of the year like hey merry christmas email like here's kind of a brief recap of my year hope your year was great you know that kind of thing um, and as far as what to talk about, I would start with, yeah, just filling in on what you've been doing. Hopefully you've been updating your portfolio. Mm-hmm. If you're a clever person, you will update your portfolio so that every time you do reach out and talk to somebody, it will, um, look really good on you to include your link and say, I've also had some recent updates. Feel free to check them out. And then um, you're killing two birds with one stone there. You're keeping your contacts fresh and you're sharing your work and how your skills are developing. Um, The other thing that I would suggest is uh, keep keep a short list of questions so that when you email that person, you can ask them a good, strong question or two that you really want to know about. So that way it isn't just like, so did you catch the, you know, whatever game last weekend? And by the way, like I'm getting married tomorrow. Well, maybe you can mention that you're getting married. That's that's cool, I guess. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. Like there are other things that I've gotten emails with some very minuscule updates. And I'm like, yeah, I'll reply to this when I get a chance. Yeah. But it's not like really threatening. And sometimes it doesn't even warrant a reply. It's just a bunch of like, I've been volunteering at this thing and it was great. And like, what what do I say to that? Like, congrats. Yeah. Like that's that's awesome, and you should volunteer, and that's great. But it'd be more important to know how your artwork is coming, and if you have a really good question that's been burning at the back of your mind, like, um, I feel like I'm having issues locking down, um, you know, anatomy in a foreshortening sense. Like, do you have any tips about mm. that that I can um, latch onto? Because I'm not quite getting it from my teachers or I had this book that's not really working out for me. What do you recommend? That's really great. It's something to talk about and it shows that you are still continuing your quest to become better at your craft. Um, Asking questions about what they're up to is okay as long as it's brief and usually you can sum it up in one question like, how's the show that you're working on? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think you need to really dig in too deep with like 
things that like if you've been watching them on Facebook or Twitter yeah, or something. Don't come off creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why don't you, what do you think? What do you think are some great ways to do your networking emails? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, just kind of updating when, you know, if there's a big things going on, like let's say you're a student and they're about to do the screening of all your senior films. Like if oh, they're nearby good. and you want to like invite them, like that'd be cool. That'd be something I'd be up for going to. Um, and just kind of just checking in, like, you know, I just wanted to see how things are going. Like you said, I've done some updates to my stuff if you want to take a look at it. Um, it's nice to kind of reach out to people and not always expect something from them. Mm-hmm. Um, like Absolutely. you said, we're building relationships. So, you know, you don't want to reach out to someone only during times when you want something because that <laughs> yeah. won't really leave a, a good good taste in their mouth. Um but yeah, just spreading it out and not being too over the top with how often you're contacting them. Cause I do know some people who get contacted a lot and it's kind of like overwhelming. Cause we're also, you know, we have a lot of things that we're doing on our end since we're mm-hmm. already working. And um, yeah, if you're someone who like knows someone who's in the industry, but you haven't talked to them in months or years, probably the best way to not start off the conversation is, hey, I saw there's a job posting. Like, (laughs) what do you know? Can you like tell me who's it for? And just trying to like treat them as if they're the recruiter or their HR, because most of the time they don't know. I know I usually don't know. I don't even know when we post things unless it's specifically for my show. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other side of that, you know, if you do see something you want to get in touch with them, you can just reach out and say, hey, I know it's been a while. I just wanted to check in, see how you were doing or how things are going. Uh, here's kind of what I've been up to. What about you? And then that kind of opens up this conversation that's more like a friendship instead of just you're, you're in a position that I want to be in. So you let me know when a spot is open. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's good. It's really good. And to you know, I've I've gotten some emails from people where they'll like attach like maybe two or three drawings that they, like if they're an art student, hmm. they'll attach like two or three drawings rather than like their entire portfolio just so that I can like see how their work is coming along. Yeah, that's good and, like, too. That's always pretty cool. And it's not even that they're asking for feedback. It's just like, "Hey, I haven't talked to you in 6 months, so here's my here's what I've been doing." And I'm like, "Whoa, this person's like skyrocketed since the last time I saw their stuff which is also leaves a great impression in my mind for later yeah. if something comes up so um, so yeah even if you're a student I think there are things that you can post about um, or sorry not post about but at, uh, talk about questions to ask artwork to share um, you know if you have questions about like where to find material like I don't know, um, for Anna, I don't know particularly who the um, industry professional is that she's talking about, but if that person does the job that Anna wants to do, then she could say like, oh, what are two art books that you would recommend that I should have Mm -hmm. to do the job you're doing? Like, which two do you use or that you have? So that you can start also building your library, but also makes, you know, um, uh, a great... um, conversation starter stuff like that yeah cool totally agree with all that yeah usually people are, are are happy to help when they can 
Mm-hmm. So if you have like some questions or something's kind of crossed your mind and you feel like you've hit a roadblock, you know, I found people do love talking about themselves and their experiences. <laughs> so yeah. they, they feel flattered when it's like, oh, you want my knowledge? Sure. Yeah. Here you go. It's pretty cool. It's a cool phenomenon for sure. Awesome. How is that? Do we, is, do we have any others? Uh, that is everything. But I want to bring up something. And because I know that it's uh, it's come up a few times, and even at the last mixer we had, had a great time talking with some students there. Mm-hmm. And something that's come up is having the animation network go out to schools, maybe do oh, some talks. Yeah. Yes. So I wanted to see what you were thinking about that. If that's something that uh, we can start doing, or that what what your thoughts are on it? Yeah, great. Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think. That's so flattering that um, people uh, would think of us to come to their school and talk about this stuff. I've even had some really awesome fans of the podcast ask us to go to like to to Australia and talk out there at like conventions and things like that. Um, I would totally be down for it. Would you be down to go? I'm down. Yeah, I think and Cassie and Jeff, I'm sure they would be super excited to go. I think the biggest thing is just... um, uh, knowing where to go like if I don't <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know who's wants us to come to their school except for the people who've made it vocal which is exactly how you get something done so I think the thing to do is to open it up and say like again for people listening to this episode if they would like for us to come to their school or or even if they have their own little group like I've I've gone to talk to uh, writers groups before about writing for animation oh. and stuff so if, if there's somewhere that we should be discussing animation and giving real current industry knowledge to those people, then I say, let's go. And all we just need is for those people to tell us who they are. Yeah. <laughs> so how about this? Since it's your question, mm-hmm, how about mm-hmm. we send people to you? <laughs> so I'm cool with that. Okay. So tell people what your email address is. So my email is Tierra T-I-A-R-A, at theanimationnetwork.org. There it is. So if you would like for us to come check you guys out and give you some some animation industry knowledge, then email Tierra. Let her know that your art club at the school would love to have us and we'll work it out. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Is That's that everything? everything? That is it. All right, cool. Well, let's wrap this puppy up because I'm really hungry. I think I need to get food. Yeah, it's about that time. <laughs> yeah, it is. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Are you still there? Great. Please don't forget to check us out. We're all over the internet. So come find us at places like Twitter at T-A-N underscore podcast. And of course, on Facebook at facebook.com slash animation network podcast. 
and our home on the web, which is theanimationnetwork.org, where you can see all the things that we do that are the Animation Network, all of the team members, and you can email us directly. You can see all the services we provide so that you can have support on your journey toward breaking into animation. So come check us out. Thank <laughs> you.